everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Introducing your hosts, I'm Kaylee Costello. I'm Josh Benadiva. And I'm Taran Gupta. And today, we're hosting a recap of the third annual Wharton Fintech Conference that took place at the end of March. We had a strong representation from all segments of the fintech community, including startups, corporates, venture funds, and academia. The lineup included individuals like Bill McNabb, who is the former chairman and CEO of Vanguard, Hans Tung, the managing partner of GGV, Bojang, the co-founder of Lific, and much more. Yeah, it was a really special conference. I'm surprised that so many awesome and accomplished people wanted to come speak to us lowly MBA students. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the key highlights from the Wharton Fintech Conference and the themes that were highlighted, including disruptive technologies to market conditions and growth opportunities. So let's start. So I'll kick it off with our first takeaway, and I'll start with a rhetorical question. Is it really a podcast in 2023 if we don't start off by talking about ChatGPT? Obviously, ChatGPT has really taken over tech and is the most rapidly adopted product in history. But the question has always been how it will affect fintech. And that was a common theme throughout all of the panels. I think we saw a lot of that um, question come up frequently. And there seems to be consensus around two main issues, which is one is fraud, which is that ChatGPT generative AI really is going to lead to an increase in fraud cases to where you know a doomsday scenario or like a fearing fearful scenario was given where you get a call from someone it sounds exactly like your daughter she's asking for you know a thousand dollars that you need to be wired to an account and she knows all about you she knows all about your background and of course this is this is a case of fraud so financial institutions need to be ready for like this massive increase in really good fraud and that's going to cause a lot of issues and on the other side Another consensus was that, you know, there's a high degree of trust that needs to be built between customers and their financial institutions, and especially in fintech, where so much of this happens online. That high fidelity customer service bots and you know chatbots can play a huge role here. And I think I think we saw that as a common theme uh, across a lot of uh, different speakers. Uh, I know Kaylee, you you have a lot of thoughts about this also because. You know, you're a big ChatGPT user. <laughs> so what are your thoughts there? I think one of the interesting things that we heard was around emerging markets. Um, I think we're still in the early stages and there's a lot of really impressive things that ChatGPT can do, but you can often tell that it's not written by a human and that language isn't perfect. And that's something that often gets worse when you're looking at like sort of languages outside of English. Um, and I think that's something that some of the sort of CEOs in emerging markets were talking about as a challenge in terms of how they look to integrate this in their products and services. Yeah, I think it was it was Benjamin Fernandez, right? That the CEO of Nala, and he mentioned that you know, and I think it's in Kenya where they have where, where his company operates, and they have over a hundred different dialects. He's like, listen, you know, ChatGPT can't provide trustworthy customer support for hundred different dialects, you know, and, and um, so that was an interesting takeaway from from his thoughts there. Yeah. And um, like in some ways, it's not even always doing a good job when it's trying to give support in English. Like there's sometimes where the things just sound kind of awkward. And I think we heard it's particularly challenging when you're looking at things like financial advice, where the sort of trusted relationship has always continued to be an important component of that. It's still challenging to see how sort of chat GPT and AI will fit into that and, you know, deliver a service that people feel comfortable with and that regulators feel comfortable with as well. 
Yeah, one thing everyone seemed to touch on was definitely the fact that AI models still aren't usable in any sort of core functionality for financial services because you need to have a high degree of reliability when you're processing transactions, when you're dealing with client data. Um, so because of that like lack of reliability and accuracy, it can't really be used for anything transaction related. Um, so that's that's what's kind of limiting, I guess, the the full integration of AI into into financial services. Yeah, and moving on, a second hot topic of the conference was around crypto. And this is something that's been a hot topic for almost a decade. It's evolved from being a digital currency that you know people originally thought was a get-rich-quick sort of scheme um, or a fraud to a rising segment within fintech that's you know transforming how traditional financial services work. Um, I know, Tarong, you attended a lot of the crypto sort of panels. What were some of your key takeaways there? I mean, if you know me, you know that... Um bullish on crypto or Web3 in general. So I think the first key takeaway from me naturally was the fact that everyone on the panel agreed that importance of crypto or DeFi is only going to grow with time, especially given the fact that they are solving very fundamental problems that traditional finance right now has. For example, limited self-custody of assets or lack of transparency or challenges in financial inclusion and even limited access to new asset classes, right? All of which are being solved either to a large degree or to some extent through Web3. However, the coinciding thought here was that crypto or DeFi is not going to be a direct competitor or like a hurtful to incumbents in financial services in general, right? In fact, there are quite a bit of synergies that can be explored if banks and Web3s or current payment services and Web3 were to work together. And talking about risk, right? Like people perceive crypto to be risky, which I get, but people often ignore the number of bank failures that happen. And as the current Silicon Valley bank showed us that even like banks with great track records or banks with strong like financials, like that seem at least strong from the outside can fail. So who's to say that traditional finance is just not as risky, right? But at the end, there was this continuous reminder that in order to drive mass adoption and unlock, you know, the full potential of Web3, investors, founders, regulators, all of them need to work together. And you know what, since I mentioned uh, Silicon Valley Bank, I should ask Josh, because I know you followed this entire saga quite quite closely. Like, what did you hear from the panelists and what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think when we, a lot of panels talked about SVB and they talked about how it was crazy and how um, there was a lot of uh, effects on their business and people had to stay up all night to to respond to emails and, and move money out of SVB and everything. And that was crazy indeed. It sounded like a crazy experience, and and I really respect all the founders and VCs who, who um, reacted very quickly. But I think the fintech takeaways are crazy, and and I think it was during the opening panel where someone got up and said, "Hey, listen, yes, after the SBV collapse, uh, Chase did take in the most deposits; they were number one, but number two and number three in terms of receiving deposits were Mercury and Brex. They brought in more deposits." The B of A, these fintech challengers. And that's such a remarkable statistic to me. And that I think shows a lot of the path forward for fintech. And I think that shows that there is this like very amazing niche that it plays that fintechs are able to move more quickly. There are still these legacy financial institutions that still don't know how to cater to specific needs. And SVB did, Mercury and Brex do. And it was evidenced by the fact that they were able to move very quickly, shows that they cater to this need in a market and they can cater to those needs and react and move very quickly. I think within the days leading after 
the SVB collapse, within a couple days, Mercury was able to increase its deposit insurance to $3 million, right? Show me a big finance institution that can do that, you know? And, and they were able to speed up their, their onboarding of new customers from weeks and months to days. They were able to just physically take in more, more customers. Show me a big bank that can do that. Show me a large finance institution that, that can make those swift changes. And I think that shows that done in the right way, you know, fintech is just still has such a unique and important place in the marketplace. And um, it's exciting to see. And it wouldn't be 2023 without talking about the venture capital industry and valuations as well. Um, so I think with the recent fall in VC funding, this was something that was top of mind for a lot of the earlier stage fintechs that we, we um, spoke to. I think, Josh, you had some thoughts around some of the things that stood out to you. Think. More money, more problems. I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I think, I think it was Jake Gibson from, from Better Tomorrow Ventures, which, which got up and started talking about that, how you know, in 2021, 2022, these companies, especially fintechs, were raising tons and tons of money and were under extraordinary pressure to grow very quickly in very unhealthy and unsustainable ways. So you raise these huge rounds and you might not necessarily have product market fit. You might be some, some DeFi company or some, some you know, Web3 company that maybe should be better served partnering with a traditional institution, but because you raise so much money, you're like, hey, I might build, try and build it all myself or attack this whole market myself. But now instead the market, because of the lower valuations and less money being raised, there's a little bit more of this like, let's build healthily, let's grow in a healthy way. Let's not just attack growth for the sake of saying, you know, we're going to buy PPC ads on Google, but we're actually going to grow sustainably. We're going to make sure that we're solving the right problem and have the right market um, for that problem. And and yeah, it was, it, was, it was honestly a bit refreshing because that's ultimately what a lot of people in fintech want to do is build sustainable businesses. Yeah, what, what was their other piece of advice, Kayla? I know I remember you, you were thinking a bit about... Yeah, I think firstly, we heard a lot around it's no longer enough to just say this market has a huge TAM. Like, like you said, you really right. need to be focusing on what is the problem that you're solving, um, how are you making money from it, and how are you really you know, providing a unique sort of value add there. And it's become increasingly important that fintechs are able to demonstrate that tangible use case for what you're doing. Um, I think what one of the panelists mentioned was, like, if you're the 100th neobank in the US, you're not really solving a new problem. You're not really doing something new. And now you're a lot less likely to get funding than you may have been in sort of the 2021 boom. Um, and I think a piece of advice that stood out to me was around finding a niche. So, you can't just focus on let's make things a bit more digital. Let's have a new credit card or a slightly more digital process. Um, you need to have something that's kind of distinguishing you. Um, and we heard from some really interesting CEOs of a couple of companies, like for example, Flywire that does um, international sort of student payments for universities. Um, and they talked about how interestingly that like to start with, they've been told what you're doing is kind of too niche, but they'd really focused on that and done that well. And that it worked well for them. And that's increasingly what the VCs were focusing on as well. Yeah. And, and another key takeaway was the discussion around how they see the future of fintech shaping up, right? And one specific aspect that I remember was talked about was regulations, especially for Web3 and crypto. Because I think that is one subsector segment within fintech that has a lot of regulatory uncertainty. And part of it uh, is what the panelists believe was because regulators and general public don't completely understand how Web3 works. 
and they themselves like the founders and investors don't make it easy with all the complex terminologies that they use so human tendency to sort of fear what we don't understand right so the only way forward is that people or the founders and the investors make a concentrated effort to spread awareness and work actively with the government to make sure that regulations are being set they are precise and they take into account the interest of both the masses and the innovators in fact you know this is already happening in eu uk and australia so it's only a matter of time that us also needs to jump on the bandwagon one thing that they did highlight was the fact that till now the general sentiment towards web3 has been negative in the sense that when regulators look at it they think from the perspective of hey if we allow this what can go wrong rather than okay this is a great opportunity to create economic value or or creating economic opportunities how do we regulate this to make sure that it retains the essence or the benefits of it without the negative impact and you know and to minimize fraud on which note i also remember that they talked at length about fraud as being a challenge so kelly maybe you can jump in here yeah i think firstly it extends upon some of the stuff that josh mentioned around ai like this is a new challenge that all the fintechs and financial institutions are having to deal with in terms of how do we you know cater to and stop these new kinds of fraud that are cropping up or that we expect to crop up in the future um but beyond that there's still many challenges in fraud in the existing processes that these fintechs and financial institutions are dealing with. Um, and I remember the CEO of Lithic mentioned that one of the key challenges that they're still working through is around identity verification. This is something where there's be always been a lot of check the box policies, but it's been really hard to kind of get to the crux of the problem and you know make sure that a person is who they say that they are. Um, and I think there were some interesting stats there around account opening and kind of the challenges there. Yeah, I think I think there was some crazy statistic of like 90% of documentary KYC uh fraud still passed. It was just insane, insane statistic. And definitely a big problem space that still exists. And I know I know I came into the conference with the thought of wow, there are uh so many different fintech solutions out there, so many different companies. They've all raised so much money. Everyone's building something right? Seems like an ocean full of endless comp competition and competitors. But one common thread deems, did seem to be that there is like this abundance of opportunity, whether it's, you know, in solving that fraud issue or a big highlight was cross-border payments, like cross-border payments, B2B payments. Is it still this huge problem that hasn't been solved? It's very complex. There's a lot of complexities involved, but no one's really doing a good job fixing it, at least that we know of. And that there is still this like office of the CFO, which has been very hot recently, but it has led to like so many different solutions out there and not a lot of clear amount of direction. And there's still a lot of problems to be fixed. So despite the fact that it may seem like this crazy red ocean, there does seem to be a lot of uh, green pastures for people to go and build and solve problems. Yeah, and an interesting question we discussed was around where do you sort of build and develop all of this yourself versus where do you rely on embedded fintech to do so? Um, and one of the interesting things we heard in the panel was around how embedded fintech is really helpful for what they referred to as commoditized features, like the kind of features that you have across all the different apps and platforms, be it like um, your um, KYC, be it your you know, sort of standard digital interface that where a lot of, you know, fintechs have apps that look fairly similar. There's a lot of things that you can leverage and don't um, like need to build yourself. Um, and the advice 
that the panelists gave was around fintech should really be building where they have differentiation and building and focusing on what makes your company special and different from the others. Um, but then there really is all these embedded fintech players that you can rely on for a lot of the commoditized features to avoid having to invest time to build that yourself. So to wrap it up, I would say that despite the recent challenges that the fintech industry has faced, um, most of the panelists were optimistic about the future of fintech, especially uh, embedded finance, B2B infra, vertical SaaS, and Web3. They showed an incre like increased focus on unit economics and strong value proposition, which is the path forward for acquiring and retaining customer. But that seems to be kind of like common knowledge or like age-old advice that you need to build a business, you need to have a value that you're offering to the customer, and basically you earn more than it costs you to provide that service or a product, right? And we also asked the panelists for advice around you know, starting a career in fintech, what you should think about and how you should best set yourself up to succeed. Um, I think some of the key learnings there was firstly around Web3. Like if you're interested in Web3 and crypto, be there because you believe in the technology and the company and the product and not just for the hype that's around at the moment because like there likely will continue to be volatility and you need to you know be invested enough that you want to stick through that volatility and i think more generally we got some good advice from Amaya Scaretti who's a partner at QED and he was talking to us about roles in fintech and his recommendation was resist the urge to be a generalist too early by taking on a strategic role, like something in strategy or a chief of staff type role. Um, sort of be spiky and be truly excellent in something and people will you know, let you take on more and you can build and grow from there. Add on to that, like there were some general career points that were said, which I think apply, whether you're recruiting for fintech or consulting, finance, I don't know, whatever it might be that you should have your own opinions based on your own research and understanding rather than just relying on what the market is saying at the moment. And apart from that, you know, demonstrating intellectual curiosity is important and the ability to basically understand a problem and break it down into a solution is like a skill that will serve you across your career, throughout your career, sorry, and is valued across industries. Nice advice from our in-house consultant from Terang. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, thanks for joining us as we recapped the Wharton Fintech's third annual conference. If you enjoyed these insights, we'd love to see you at next year's conference. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with our events and media. Signing off, it's me, Josh. Haley. And Tarang. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please like or comment on social media, or even consider leaving us a review. It really helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium, at Wharton Fintech. And there you can find interviews, articles, and so much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, thank you to our editor, Rafael Saria. And until next time, I'm your host, Josh Benedivo.